And I knew about it. We still had a couple of shoes to go through. But honestly, this is one that I have just been like chomping at the bit to get in. Because as you can tell by it's on the screen, we're going through the book of Revelation. Yeah. yeah. Like it is, um, anybody like absolutely love the book of Revelation? Hey, we got a couple of them. So I grew up hating the book of Revelation. And that might sound like a hard term to use for the Bible. It is honestly how I felt though. Because it scares the diseases out of me. And I don't know what a diseases is, but they're all gone. They're no longer in my body. Um, because they're all out there. Because it just, like when I would read it, you could say the word revelation. My body tensing up, and I went into just kind of this mode of alertness of like the Jesus coming out. Like you said, Revelation, where's the skies opening up? And it just like when I would read about it, when I would uh, look at it, I didn't read it. Let's be honest, it scared me. I didn't read it because I was always afraid. There was a movie and uh, some book that came out years ago called Left Behind, and they traumatized because they're about people where the or the rapture, not the tribulation. The rapture happens, God takes all the people that are his, and he leaves people who are not his, and it's about this person that gets left behind, and I always associated with that person. And so I would come home, mom and dad are supposed to be home, I would come home, mom and dad aren't home, and I would be like, great, God took them, and I'm left here with them. I'd like to say it stops, but Heather will leave every now and then, and I can't find her, and so I pull out friends She's in the house, and I'm screaming for her, and she's not in the house. And I always knew she was the more spiritual one, but I thought I would make the cut. And it still kind of, like, comes inside my body. I know in reality, I'm good. God and I are great. It's because of Jesus. That's why I'm making the cut. Not because of what I did. But there's still that initial, like, oh no. It happened. My biggest fear came through. He took my wife. He took everybody. And then she walks through the door, and it's like, of you have all of the answers to revelation. 
and it is the one book that people avoid like the plague itself. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus promises us this. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written from the time they hear. And so here we have this, this letter where Jesus is telling us, blessed are you if you read this letter aloud. Blessed are you if you hear it, and blessed are you if you keep it. But it's confusing. Because there's these grasshoppers that have faces of humans on them. And there's these beasts and this mark and this antichrist and all this stuff. So we avoid it all together. Where Jesus says, actually, if you read it out loud, if you hear it, and if you keep it, you're going to be blessed. And I believe that these four truths that we're going to look at over the next four weeks are the four blessings. And there's more to it. I mean, it's, it's an in-depth letter. But I believe we will be blessed when we hold firm to these four truths that we're going to look at over the next four weeks. And the very first truth that we're going to look at today is Jesus is worthy. Through everything we see, that's what we need to come back to. Jesus is worthy. We're going to be in Revelation. Our key text is going to be in chapter 5, but we're going to start in chapter 4 and just kind of work our way through this. So we're not going to all stand and read it because it's two whole chapters. Prepare your hearts with me to hear what God has to say. So if you'll join me in prayer right now. Father God, I pray for everybody in this room. I pray for everybody that's hearing my voice or will hear my voice. God, open every single one of our hearts. God, in a, in a letter that you have written to us, and God, one that is so just full of questions and so, so... Uh, dividing at times among your people. God, as we get ready to look at the truth, unite us around that. May they be the four things that we hold to. And God, may it just encourage us, no matter what comes our way, because we see who you truly are. And God, I pray for the words that come out of my mouth. May they be your words. God, remove anything that is not from you. And let just your word and your truth chapter 4, verse 1. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must, what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the
and he said, you know what happened? I was there, and God took me out of the body. I went in spirit into heaven, and he described for us what we see. And it aligns with what Daniel tells us Daniel saw, and what Isaiah tells us Isaiah saw, and what Ezekiel tells us Ezekiel saw. All of them saw the throne room of God, and they all are the same thing. It was and he's saying, you know, I saw this throne, and it was beautiful, and it was bright, and I saw one seated on the throne, and he was like sapphire and carnelian, and around the throne there was this rainbow that was like emerald, and he's like, you know what, I have no words to explain what it looked like, so I'm going to do the best I can by giving you these perfect, beautiful gems. That is what it looked like. But John doesn't stay focused on the throne. Instead, he turns his focus towards something he turns his focus to the one who is on the throne. And this is the point that I think we need to remember as we read from Revelation all the way through the end. There starts being crazy stuff. Like again, grasshoppers that look like faces of humans and they eat everything. You've got stars that fall from the sky and they like wipe out a quarter of the world. You have like water that turns the blood. Like you start reading and it's like, what in the world is going on here? Matt Chandler. He's a pastor that I listened to, and he was doing a series on Revelation, and he said this. He said, Revelation was not written to incite fear, but to inject courage. Revelation was not written to incite fear, but to inject courage. That when we read it, God's intent was not for us to be like, oh my goodness, God, did you lose control? And so this is what we can remember right away. When John looks at the throne, he doesn't just say, I saw a throne and nobody was sitting on it. He says, I saw a throne and behold, one was seated on it. Daniel said in his prophecy that, behold, the ancient of days as the son of man was seated on the throne. For the rest of the letter, that's what we have to remember. God is on the throne. It's not like there's this cosmic battle going on. Where it's like, oh no, evil is winning, and oh no, it looks like God pulled out some right foot, and all of a sudden he's got the lead again, but just wait, evil's coming back. It's not that way. Notice, God is on the throne, and he is seated on the throne. He is reigning. No matter what comes our way, no matter how you interpret the rest of Revelation, that stays the same. Whether we're here for the tribulation, God's still on his throne. Whether as my prayer is, God takes me before the tribulation, he's still on his throne. Whether I'm all paying out, God is still on his throne. We have to remember that. Through the lens of reading Revelation, we filter it through this. God is the one in control. God is the one in charge. And God is the one that is ultimately sitting on the throne. We cannot remove him from the throne and put ourselves on the throne. Because that's what I try to do all the time. Like, hey God, I don't really think you have this under control. So can you just like let me sit on the throne for a little bit and all handle everything? And then it goes south really fast. Because as we're going to see, I'm not worthy to sit on the throne. Only God is worthy to sit on the throne. There is no cosmic battle for the throne. God is on it. God has always been on it. And God will always be on the throne. This is the resounding theme through Scripture. Daniel, all the way back in the Old Testament, when Israel was in exile, God's still on the throne. Paul, when he is in prison, still says God is on the throne. 
Whatever is going on in your life, remember it's God who is in control. God is on the throne. And we can trust Him through that. Because there's not a battle.
everybody worships something. We worship what we put our time, our effort, our resources. That's what we worship. That thing that you say, you know what, I'll wake up extra early to be able to go do that. You're worshiping it. That thing that you say, you know what, I'm going to clear my schedule completely to be able to put forth all my effort towards that. You're worshiping it. Anything that we put above God in any sense is idolatry. And idolatry is the worship of something other than God. And so we are all worshiping something. But we're called to worship God. And He is holy. He is set apart from everything else that we worship. Because your job's going to fail you. Your spouse is going to make you mad at some point. Not you. But, you know, everybody else's probably will. Um, I'll make you mad. But your possessions are going to break. Your money's going to become worthless really quick. Whatever it is that you're like, this is what I'm living for, it's going to leave you empty. Except for Jesus. Except for God. Because He is set apart. He is holy. And so He is worthy because of that. And then He is worthy because without Him, we cease to exist. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we are created by him, we are created through him, and we are created for him, for his glory. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, without Jesus, without God, we don't exist. That's why he's worthy. We are not gods. We are not amazing creatures. We are created beings to glorify God. You did not create God. Nobody created God. He is before all things. Through him, all things were created. And for him, all things were created. And so our response to that is to say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And so John, he's, he's taking in this image and he, he sees the whole throne room and he sees the 24 elders, the throne in the middle. He then looks at the one seated on the throne and then he kind of focuses in a little bit more in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And so John, he sees in the hand of God this scroll and he's left with the question of who's going to open that? And, and again, there's multiple interpretations, what's on the scroll. Regardless, it's important. It's in the hand of God. 
And John is like, who, who's going to open that so that we can see what is to take place? And then he realizes, wait a minute, there is nobody. Nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody under the earth. There's nobody in the creation of the world, in the history of time, that can look in the scroll. Nobody can open the scroll. And so it just breaks John's heart that he begins to weep and to weep. We can apply that to ourselves as well. Because the question that we are left with, as Paul asked in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, who's going to save me from this body of death? Who is worthy of my time? Who is worthy of my effort? Who, who's worthy of me to give everything over to them? Nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody under the earth, no possession, no thing, no career, nothing. Everything that we strive for, everything that we put all our time and effort towards, if it is not Jesus, is not worthy. And so John is like, man, who? Who is worthy to open the scroll? And he begins to weep. But then verse 5, the elder said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered. He is the one who can bring salvation to the world. He is the one who is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. You want to know who is worthy? You want to know what is worthy? It's Jesus. Worthy of what? Everything. Literally 100% of all you have to give, Jesus is worthy. He's worthy not just of your first 10%. He is worthy of your entire life as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. Paul, he says, I urge you, I appeal to your brothers. By the mercies of God, present your bodies, everything about you, 100% as a living sacrifice sacrifice this is your true and spiritual worship he's worthy not just of this moment now he's worthy of the next however many years on this earth you have he's worthy not just of your mornings but of your entire day he's worthy not just of your obedience he wants your heart there's a big difference the pharisees gave him obedience but he says i don't want just your 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 ritual obedience. I want your heart. I want everything about you. I don't want you to clean the outside and the inside be like a whitewashed tomb that is full of death and decay. He said, I want you to have a new heart which I will place inside you. He doesn't just want your obedience. He wants your heart, your livelihood. And he doesn't just want your life. He wants your death. He wants you to be willing to be faithful to him. Jesus is worthy of you dying for. Jesus is worthy of you not just literally physically dying, but daily. He says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to come after me, they must take up their cross, deny themselves daily, and follow me. He's worthy of you to die to your selfish ambitions, your pride, your comfort, whatever it is. He is worthy of you giving it all to him. He is the only one that is worthy. He's the only one that can open the scroll. He's the only one that can save us from wrath because he already has. Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. He says between the or he said 
between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. John the Baptist said, Behold, the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Here he'd just been called the lion of the tribe of Judah. John looks and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb as though it had been slain. Jesus represent, the lamb representing Jesus who hung on that cross to take away the sins of the world because God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on that cross so that if you believe in him, you should not perish but have eternal life. John said, who's worthy? He said, I turned and I looked and behold, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. In Revelation chapter 1, we're told to him who loves us, this is Jesus, and freed us from our sins by his blood. Not only that, he made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, Jesus is the one who can save us. And then Revelation 7, 10, later on, because the, the, in, ver, in chapter 6, the wrath of God is being poured out and we're told that the mighty, the rich, the wealthy, the popular, they're all going to run into the caves and say, God, let these rocks fall on us so that we can avoid the wrath of God. So again, we're left with the question, who will save us from this body of death? Revelation chapter 7, crying with a loud voice, the myriad of myriad of people says salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who can save us? Not your money, not your possessions, not your status, not your fame, not your career, not your family. Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the only one that is worthy. Nothing compares. So when we look through the rest of Revelation, as you read through this book, as, you, as, as we talk about it more and more, we hold firm to this truth. Jesus is the only one that is worthy. God is the one that is sitting on the throne. And so whatever fear may come, we kick it out the door and say, God's on control and Jesus is worthy of me to live for and Jesus is worthy of me to die for. Because Jesus, once and for all, Gave his life for us. As Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. We are to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus. Who delivers us from the wrath to come. Through Jesus we have eternal life. We do not have fear. So what is it? I have two questions as we close. What is it. That you might be holding on to. To get you through whatever difficulty might be coming ahead. Maybe it's economical difficulties that might be coming down. And you're like, alright, if only I save this much more money, then everything will be okay. You're not guaranteed that. Maybe there's relationship hardships. And it's like, okay, maybe if I just behave good enough, I'm not going to have to suffer through this. You're not guaranteed that. Maybe it's if I eat healthy enough. If I exercise enough, if I change my diet, then I won't suffer the physical ailments anymore. You're not guaranteed that. What is it that you're holding on to to get you through whatever might be coming your way? Because Jesus tells us, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so if it's not Jesus, it's going to let you down. And so remove whatever it is off of the throne of your life 
and place God there because he is the only one that is worthy. And then the last thing is how do we respond to this? All right, Jesus is worthy. What do we do? It's repeated multiple times in these first couple chapters. Chapter 4, verse 11, we worship him. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 5, 9, they said, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And he says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And all God's people say, Amen. And the elders fall down and worship Him. How do we respond when we realize Jesus is worthy of everything? Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies in everything you do as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You go from here. And you offer every moment of your day as worship to God. We're going to close with a song that pretty much prays what we just read. Worthy are you. And as Craig and Tessa and Rachel come forward and Rick and Laura, as they lead us in this, let it be the prayer of your heart. That it not again just be words that come from your mouth but that it be the message of your heart. That there's nothing in this world that is worthy. Jesus only is worthy of everything that we have to give him. So if you'll stand, I'm going to pray, and then they'll lead us in this song. Father God, we thank you. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God, we have placed our faith in you. And we thank you, as Paul told us, only Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. Only Jesus is worthy. So as we sing this song, as we pray this song, God, may it be the prayer of our heart to you, the only worthy one true God. And then also, God, I pray if there be anything else that we are placing on the throne, help us remove it so that you can claim your rightful place in our heart. If that be coming forward and professing a life change for you, God, let us do that. If that be finding somebody in this room and just confessing as you tell us, confess our sins and pray for one another. God, let us do that. Whatever it is, God, may we take this time removing distraction and focus on you, singing the praises of our heart. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.